Hi, I'm Nicole Ferraro, and this is The Divide, a podcast from Light Reading exploring the ongoing digital divide, why and where it still exists, and what needs to be done to get people everywhere connected to reliable, high-speed internet. Today, I'm joined by Dave Stellan, CEO of the Telecommunications Industry Association, or TIA. The Telecommunications Industry Association will host a BEAD Success Summit in Arlington, Virginia this week. We discuss the goal of that summit, which will bring together different industry and government stakeholders to participate in workshops around funding and build-out requirements for the $42.5 billion Broadband Equity Access and Deployment Program. We also discuss specific industry concerns around BEAD's extreme high cost threshold, Buy America rules, and more. All right. Uh, Dave, thank you so much for joining me. Welcome to the podcast. It's great to be here. Hi, Nicole. Hello, good morning. It's nice to meet you. I'm excited to speak with you. Um, just to kick things off, why don't you tell us a bit about the Telecom Industry Association, or TIA, as we'll probably refer to it more, um, who it represents and what your organization does? Sure. Uh, the Telecommunications Industry Association uh, has been around in one form or another for about 80 years, and we do two things primarily. One is create standards for the industry, and two is advocate for the industry. Uh, we're a global association, uh, although based here in Arlington, Virginia. Uh, and our types of standards we create are everything from cell tower structures to data center infrastructure uh, to hearing aid compatibility with mobile devices, uh, as well as things like cyber and supply chain security. Uh, and then on the advocacy side, um, we focus on things that are important to our members, and our members are primarily the equipment providers and the software providers to the ICT industry. Of course, things have broadened out quite a bit lately uh, now that everything is connected. Um, and we are global, uh, so our, our membership uh, is pretty much around the world. Uh, basically, any large company you can think of that provides services or products to the industry, we support with the exception of some of the Chinese companies. Okay, got it. So um, you all have a bead success summit coming up uh, in April. Uh, it's it'll probably be the same week that this podcast comes out. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what that summit is, who's going to be there, and what the overall goal is? Sure. Uh, so obviously, bead is a tremendous opportunity, uh, forty-two plus billion dollars to help uh, bring broadband to the unserved and underserved across the United States. Uh, and what we found in talking with our members, in talking with the service providers, uh, in talking with the states, is that there's still uh, a number of questions to be resolved. Um, obviously, the broadband mapping structure is one that's still underway, and I think the FCC has announced that they hope to have their what they think will be the final round of broadband maps uh, coming out next, well, in April or I'm sorry, in May. Um, so that's that's coming. Uh, there's a challenge process, of course, but then it's expected that NTIA, which is the agency under the Department of Commerce uh, responsible for BEAD, uh, will make their by-state uh, and territory allocations of that money uh, by the end of June. Uh, so in conversation with all those groups, including NTIA and Department of Commerce and others, we found that uh, in the NOFO, the Notice of Funding Opportunity, there are a number of rules and requirements that uh, are, are not yet 100% clear uh, and some net new things. So the extreme high cost, for example, or the requirement for a cyber and supply chain security operational plan. That's one that's never been in 
any broadband uh, grant program before. So we talked to a number of states uh, and we actually formed a council or an advisory council of about 10 different states to come up with an agenda to discuss the things that were most important to them. Uh, and then what we did is we reached out to NTIA uh, and a number of other agencies around uh, the U.S. government and said, hey, would you like to be part of this as well? Because we're bringing in uh, the broadband offices and some are mature broadband offices, some less so. Uh, and uh, let's talk about these issues. We'll also have the ISPs in the room as well, because they're the ones that will be going after the grant money and, and responding to the proposals coming out from the states. So bringing those three groups together to hear about uh, how we make this happen, make, how we make it a success, uh, and understand some of the big issues we thought was really important. And then, of course, the equipment providers have a, a big interest in this as well. Uh, yeah. We pulled it together. Okay. That sounds really interesting. Um, and what kind of uh, reception did you get from NTIA on this? Are they you know, actually looking to this summit as a way to help uh, inform some of their further guidance? Absolutely. So Excellent. We, we've spent a lot of time with them, of course, talking about uh, what, what's important to our members. And then we asked them to be on a number of these different sessions. So they will be panelists along with the states on these sessions so that, uh, and, and we'll have moderators, typically the moderators will come from the TIA membership, uh, but we'll have moderators that will ask questions and let both the states and NTIA respond. Uh, and then we'll also have some experts on some subject matter expert type uh, issues such as Buy America or the broadband maps or uh, critical infrastructure, uh, security, or even things like climate resiliency, which was built into the NOFO. So we'll have people talking about those things as well. Uh, so they, NTIA and others have been super responsive and supportive. That's great. And I'm sure it's helpful for them, too, because they're also scrambling to get all of these rules yeah. clarified in a very short period of time. Um, I wonder if we could just uh, dissect a little bit more some of the challenges you've already highlighted with BEAD. Um, we can get into any number of them, but why don't we start with you know some of the cybersecurity resilience uh, requirements? What are your concerns you know, sort of from within the equipment providers industry? Yeah. Um, and, and I think the concerns are tied to the requirement for an operational cyber and supply chain security uh, plan in place by the time the network gets built. Mm -hmm. So if, if uh, an ISP wins uh, bead grant money, they have to demonstrate that they have this type of plan in place. And the plan is based on a couple things, some NIST documents, primarily the cybersecurity framework that's come out of NIST and some executive orders that have come out of the White House. Uh, and so I mentioned early on that, that TIA creates standards. We create technical standards, but also process improvement standards. Um, six years ago or so, uh, TIA uh, merged with Quest Forum, which has been the industry's uh, quality management system, TL9000, for, for more than 20 years. And that process improvement uh, that TL9000 uh, has in place applies very much so to cyber and supply chain security. You can't have security in your network uh, unless it's a quality network. You can't have a quality network unless it's secure. So we built this uh, cyber and supply chain security standard. That's a process-based standard to ensure that uh, equipment companies and service providers have the proper processes in place uh, that meet the types of requirements 
that NIST puts out or uh, the, the Telecom Act in the UK uh, requires. So this, as I mentioned, it's, a, it's an international type of standard. Uh, yeah. And one that is gaining a lot of attention. And, and going back to the point that everything being connected from IoT devices on up uh, to core routers, we have to ensure that cybersecurity is built in. So what we've done is built a framework. Uh, it's a certifiable, third-party certifiable standard, uh, as well as a series of checklists that uh, the states can use to ensure uh, that the ISPs that they award um, have a proper plan in place and can help use uh, to manage those programs. And the ISPs can use to ensure that their vendors are meeting the requirements as well. So it goes from vendor to the ISP, to the state, to the federal government. Okay, gotcha. And on the climate front, you know, uh, I, I, I'd love to hear your thoughts on those requirements and just also what it's like to be in the process of embarking on this kind of build out while we're also seeing, you know, cities and uh, just communities get flooded and destroyed by catastrophic climate events. And for the uh, government to be focused on deploying fiber, which, you know, doesn't necessarily always hold up super well in uh, catastrophic climate events. So just wondering your thoughts on like the rules within the, the bead program, but also um, sort of building these networks in a real time situation where we're experiencing the effects right now of, of how they hold up under extreme weather events. Sure. So uh, weather is always going to be an issue. It's becoming a bigger issue for sure. Um, but we know for, for years and years and years, service providers have been uh, trying to build in climate resiliency. It, it obviously helps the environment, yes, but it also helps them to build a network that's going to survive. But at the same time, you have issues where you will always have uh, some climate effect, uh, depending on your geography. You know, Florida has dealt with this type of problem for years. You know, they've, they've really bulked up the type of aerial plant they have, uh, or they make it underground wherever possible. Um, uh, we've seen the wireless service providers uh, build in resiliency and build in backups. If they ever have uh, a cell towers that go down, they have mobile cell towers that come in and they can pop up and provide service. So this is something that's gone on for a number of years. In the NOFO, it describes that the service providers uh, must address this, but there's a lot of flexibility in there as to what that means. Mm -hmm. So it's up to the individual state to look at that and ensure that the ISP that they're selecting has addressed this in a way that makes sense for that state. Okay, gotcha. So I want to come back to one of the other challenges that you already mentioned, you, I think you're going to have a panel on, which is uh, Buy America. Uh, yeah. There's a renewed focus to um, follow that statute. Uh, the NTIA had previously issued a limited waiver for the middle mile program, but um, now, uh, after the State of the Union, President Biden had sort of uh, said that we are going to adhere to Buy America, um, and now the OMB had put out a sort of a set of rules for public comment, and we're in the process of revising those rules for BEAD and for the remaining ARPA funds, I believe. So tell me a bit about your concerns. I know a lot of people in the industry are concerned about this requirement um, and what you're hoping to uh, sort of get into about that at, at your summit. Yeah. So just a point of clarification, NTIA put out a proposed waiver for middle mile. It was not a final approved waiver. So there that, is now, there's that's no right. is that, waiver no. 
Okay, so that's I, I had inquired with them about uh, how yeah. they were going to move forward with that and didn't get clarity really. So, um, so it seems like they had proposed. You're saying they proposed it, but it's not necessarily going to be applied uh, for they the actual grants. They proposed it, but it's not, it's not in place yet. Okay, so, I understand. Uh, we're okay. expecting, you know, within a few weeks that that middle mile waiver will be let. Uh, that's our expectation. But uh, NTIA will put out a proposed document, get comments, uh, and then wait for a, uh, you know, uh, bring all those comments together and then come out with something themselves, either a waiver or or no waiver. Right. Um, okay. So, you know, that's that's where we are with middle mile. And then we would expect that some type of waiver will come out later on for bead. So if you look at a network, any network, and especially a rural uh, fiber intensive network, somewhere around 75% of the cost to build is labor. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other 25% are all the parts. Uh, and those parts are kind of broken into two sections, material. And now fiber cable is included in material. That's what the president said during the state of the union. And that material is everything from telephone poles to fiber cable, to interduct to the attachments, things of that sort. And then the last piece which is anywhere from 10 to 12% of the total cost um, is the electronics. So the electronics is really where the issue is. Of course, the labor's American, the material, including fiber cable is American and meets those by America requirements that's that are in the law. Uh, But it's the electronics and it's primarily because of the chips. Mm -hmm. So chips make up anywhere from 40 to 70% of electronics, depending on the complexity of the, of the device. Uh, and chips are not made here. Therefore, you're not going to make the 55% U.S. content requirement. So the waiver really is a limited waiver uh, specifically for the electronics. That's what we've been asking for and working with the government on. Um, just one more point on that. We we also know that, uh, yeah, there's a lot of money being spent to bring uh, fabs back to the U.S. Uh, three to five years is my guess before there anything comes out the door. Number one. And number two, I think that uh, the first chips that will be coming out are things for IoT devices and things for automotive, maybe less complex, less specialized, higher volume chips. So telecom is further down the road uh, in terms of chips being manufactured here. Right. Okay. So yes, we we passed the Chips Act. Uh, We are bringing some manufacturing back here, but it's not going to happen in time for the bead rollout. That's right. Okay, understood. Um, so it's, I mean, that sounds fairly reasonable. And like, you, it, I think the limited waiver is likely to apply. I don't think they're going to want to hold up the program. And President Biden has been repeating the word fiber when he talks about this, uh, this requirement. So I think that's the most important. Um, th- the other thing you mentioned is the high cost threshold as a concern. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, the extreme high cost threshold per location per location threshold is something that each state has to set. And mm-hmm. the idea there is to, uh, according to uh, the bead program, is to put fiber wherever you can afford to put fiber, uh, but make sure you have enough money to reach all the unserved. So that's that teeter-totter balance that has to occur. Yeah. And that's why it's up to each state, number one. But it seems like there's also flexibility so that each state could have perhaps different levels of extreme high cost if they have very different geographies within the boundaries of their state. So if you have a state where it's really hard to build fiber in in one part of that state and in other areas where it's maybe open and flat and it's easy to build fiber, 
uh, you, you might have a couple different uh, threshold levels. That's a question and probably something we'll bring up during the event. Uh, okay. So it's intended to help put fiber wherever you can afford, but also to give the states the flexibility to do what's best for them to reach all of their citizens. Got it. Okay. So yeah, I think that's that's definitely been one rule that uh, a lot of people in the industry have sort of been puzzling over. I know um, or organizations like ACA Connects have sort of yep. come up with their own version and for the full country, but uh, yeah, state by state, that should be interesting to see. Um, so one more question for you. Uh, you're calling it the Bead Success Summit, so it sounds optimistic. I'd just love to hear your your view on, um, do you think Bead is going to uh, be a uh, generational, uh, bring generational change to the U.S.? Do you, are you excited for the what it'll do for your members? Just what's your, your take on the possibilities with this program? Yeah, I'll give you a couple perspectives. One is, uh, you know, as someone that's been in this industry since 1984, so I've seen a lot of change, uh, you know, in the early days of fiber through all the wireless and fiber to the home and, and now where we are with everything being connected. Um, yeah this has a really big potential to be successful. Uh, you know, you can go back to the 1934 Telecom Act when they wanted to bring telephone to everybody. That was the intention back then is even rural America deserves telephone. So, uh, you know, it's here we are 90, day, 90 years later. And, and of course, everyone has it. But, uh, you know, again, showing my age, we were still using party line electronics in this country in the 90s. Because right. I know I ran a company that sold party line electronics. So it takes a long time to make this change. Um, we call it the Bead Success Summit because we really want this to be successful. And that's why we're bringing all these constituents together, the states, the federal government, the ISPs, the equipment companies to make it successful. There are a lot of moving parts, not only the rules. Um, we have a labor shortage. Mm -hmm. So getting the, the labor to build the networks is really a challenge. Um, there are fantastic job opportunities for people to have a career. You know, look how long it's taken for, uh, as I mentioned, for telecom to get everywhere, to have a career in this space. So we need more craftspeople, more technicians to build and maintain networks. Um, on, a, on a personal level, uh, you know, I want my money being spent wisely. And, uh, you know, we all, I think, are in that boat. Uh, so we want this thing to be successful. We want the little ISPs as well as the large ones to have a opportunity to win these bids. Um, we don't want it to be just one-sided, uh, mm -hmm. you know. And the government has put it, uh, has structured this so that 25% or more of the funding has to come from the states or private funding. So that creates opportunity as well. And I think we've seen more and more uh, private equity firms get involved. Uh, states coming up with other ways to help uh, provide that 25 plus percent. Uh, and I, I think that shows just a real commitment across the board. Uh, we also, though, I, I, I got to tell you, you know, we want we want Internet to go everywhere to help people be successful and not watch one minute videos. Right. So <laughs> we, that's the, that's the downside. We all have to be thinking about how do we make America better by having this in place? That's a big question, uh, and I won't engage you on it because we'll sit here for the next three hours if I do. Uh, instead, I'll just say thank you so much for taking some time to talk with us today, and good luck at the summit. 
Great. Thank you very much. Good talking with you. You too. Thank you again, Dave, for joining me. Thank you as well to our producer, Pierre Landriau, for making this episode. Be sure to subscribe to the Light Reading Podcast for more episodes of The Divide, as well as interviews and insights from the Light Reading team. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.